0: Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening,
1: ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us on this very special Raspy Voice Kids episode. My name is Jordan. I'm the producer of this show, and I've been instructed to let you all know that there is a bit of a
0: trigger warning in this episode. This discussion contains depictions of PTSD and sexual assault. So please keep that in mind as we go into this episode. We do believe that this is a very serious topic and it does need to be covered. We will not be discussing anything sports-related this week, so if you are looking for that, tune in next week for a regular episode. But for now, let's start the show. This is Brandon Phoenix, a.k.a. I Also Hate Pit, of the Raspy Voice Kids. You are listening to a special episode of the RVK podcast. Today, we are talking about post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety and depression, destigmatization, and how to heal from the pains and the sorrows that so many of us have gone through. We want to start by saying, though, we are not medical professionals. We are not medical professionals. I want to reiterate that. So if if you have access to mental health services, please use them. Our discussion today is to share personal stories of trauma Our personal paths to healing, simple ways that you can start your path to healing now, and hopefully, we want to be able to remove any of the stigmas associated with mental illness, which there are many stigmas, far too many, in the world that we live in. We'd also like to start by sharing the number 211, like 911, except for it's 211. It's a helpline number that will connect you to any services that you may need in regards to crisis and emergency resources, essential needs resources, natural disaster resources, or even daily essential needs. So that's our intro. Um, I'd like to start, too, by giving some stats about mental health. One in five adults experience mental health illness each year. One in six youths aged 6 to 17 experiences a mental health disorder each year. 50% of all lifetime mental illness begins by age 14, and 75% begins by age 24. Suicide is the second leading cause of death from the age of 10 between the ages of 10 and 34. Suicide rates have increased 31% in the last 20 years. Only 43.3% of U.S. adults with mental illness received treatment in 2018. 19.3% of U.S. adults with mental illness also experienced a substance abuse disorder in 2018. At least 8.4 million people provide care to someone with mental, Ill, mental or emotional health issues. Depression and anxiety disorders cost the global economy $1 trillion in lost productivity each year. Depression the le- is the leading cause of disability worldwide. Now, these next stats come from the American Institute of Stress. Stress is the basic cause of 60% of all human illness and disease. 75 to 90% of all doctors' office visits are stress-related ailments and complaints. Stress costs American industry more than $300 billion annually. Job pressure, money, health, relationships, poor nutrition, media overload, and sleep deprivation are the leading causes of stress in the U.S. And while you may have known some of those stats, there may be some of those things you don't know. We wanted to share those so that people understand how pervasive this issue really is. And that you are not alone if you are somebody who is struggling with these problems mentally and emotionally. We have with us today Jennifer Wilt and we have with us Emily Nestor. Both of them have experienced trauma, are going to share their stories. They're going to share some of the things that have helped them to grow and or deal with the issues that they've been involved with. I'll share some of mine as well as we get there. But now, as I've introduced Jen, I'm going to have her take over so she can share some of her story.
2: Yeah. Thanks, Brendan. Um, so my journey, um, through mental health, um, issues has really began with my diagnosis of PTSD, uh, major depression and severe anxiety, um, as a result of the military sexual trauma I experienced when I was serving in the air force. So that happens 16 years ago. And really, um, it, it shaped my life for a long time. And it basically took me 15 years before I started make really, uh, jumping down my path to healing. So there was a, there was a lot of fallout afterwards that, that happened because of, of the, uh, sexual assault. So for one, I had a, a, failed suicide attempt. And when I say I shouldn't be alive, I literally mean I should not be alive. Like I am a walking miracle, um, I, you know, unfortunately, when you're in the military, when you suffer a trauma like I suffered, you can't just go home and be with the people that loved you and the people that care for you. I mean, the military still owned every hair uh, on my head, so I couldn't just leave and come home. So unfortunately, I was still forced to work. Um, they put and and, you know, my rapist and I worked together. So, I mean, they at least put us on opposite shifts, but there was still a chance for our paths to cross. Um, and it was just, it was so much, it was, it was really too much to bear. So as I stated, I, I had attempted suicide. Um, you know, I took a hundred pills, slipped my wrist and slipped my throat (laughs) just for good measure. And somehow I'm still here, you know, walking upright. Um, I ended up having to have two different stints in a mental rehab facility while I was down there. Um, They did make me go to trial. I did not want to testify because I just I I didn't want to have to look at him. I didn't want to have to tell my story again. Um, And unfortunately, again, the military says, well, without you, there's no case. So we're going to make you basically. But how it boils down to. So I did. I, I said, if I'm going to do this though, I'm going to carry my head high. I'm not going to let him see me cry. And I'm going to, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to do it. So I did. And I was really proud of myself that I got through it, that um, I was able to say everything I needed to say, that I, I didn't cry on stand um, that I was able to face him and, and I, All that. So basically what happened after my trial was um, they decided to give me a basically what's called a hardship discharge. Uh, It's still an honorable discharge, but they just code it as a hardship. Um, And so right after my trial, I separated from the Air Force. Well, about two weeks after I separated I get a call for my victim's advocate because uh, they do whenever you're a victim of any kind of um, any kind of trauma like that, you you are assigned a victim's advocate uh, within JAG. Um, and she was wonderful. She was an absolutely wonderful person because it, it's you really need to feel like you have somebody on your side when you're going through something like that. Um, and unfortunately, you know, my rapist and I had all the same friends and everybody took his side, except for one. <laughs> I had one friend left after all of this. And so, you know, you throw that on the fact that I'm, you know, a couple hundred miles away from my parents. Um, it was about nine hours away and, um, I couldn't just go home. Um, you know, you throw, you pile on all of that. It was just, it was a, a cause for disaster. So anyway, I finally was able to get my separation. I went home. Two weeks later, my victim's advocate called me, and she said, and I could just tell, I could just tell by the way I answered my phone, I thought, this isn't going to be good. And I could tell just the just the way she breathed. I just knew. And she started talking, and it was almost like a, a quiver in her lip. And I thought, oh, no. She said, I just wanted to tell you that no charges were brought against him. None. And I thought, so you you all made me suffer and go through all that again and relive that story over and over and over again just for him to get off scot-free. I was furious, furious. <laughs> I was terrified and I I don't know. I felt so many emotions at the same time. It was almost like I, I would then instantly suffering another trauma because I had just lost my career. Um, and I was really good at it. I, I, I was really, really, really good at my job. Um, you know, right before all this happened, I had just won like dormitory of the month and I was going to be nominated for airman of the month. And it was, you know, it was, it was devastating. So I lost my career. I lost a piece of my soul, um, because I, I, mean, that's essentially when, when somebody else takes something from you, that's literally what happens. It, it literally feels like they just took a piece of your soul and it's, oh, it, it'll never come back <laughs> and it's, it's a lot to deal with. Um, and so anyway, so I'm home and after I, you know, I finally got home, I'm finally surrounded by the people that love me. I got that call and instantly I thought, okay, well, my truth doesn't matter. My truth doesn't, doesn't matter. Whatever happens to me apparently is irrelevant because nobody's going to believe me. So set that in, <laughs> that's now hard set into my, my psyche. Um, so now instead of, of wanting to be around all the people that I knew loved and cared for me, all I wanted to do was run away. Because I thought, what if they, what if they stop believing me? Yeah. And so I moved 1,100 miles away. <laughs> um, and I, and you know, the crazy thing is, I moved down to where um, a friend of mine lived, and he was in the army, and he had just come back, and I don't know, and I don't want to say that he had PTSD because I don't know if he was ever diagnosed. I don't want to, you know what I mean. Like I'm not going to say that because I don't know that for sure to be a fact. But I, I think that he might have had PTSD. He's dealing with, you know, his own traumas of war and everything else. Well, Um,
0: just while you're you're mentioning PTSD, why don't we define that? Sure. Post traumatic
2: stress. Go ahead. You go.
0: Post traumatic stress disorder is a mental health condition that is triggered by a terrifying event either experiencing it or witnessing it. Symptoms may include flashbacks, nightmares, and severe anxiety, as well as uncontrollable thoughts about the event. Most people who go through traumatic events may have temporary difficulty adjusting and coping, but with time and good self-care, they usually get better. If the symptoms get worse, last for months or even years, and interfere with your day-to-day functioning, you may have PTSD. So when we say PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, Mm -hmm. that's what we're talking about.
2: Yeah. And I think the stat is, um, I think it's like one in three people who were affected by a trauma develop PTSD. Um, and basically, you know, it's almost like, and this is what you'll, you'll see that it defined a lot like this is, um, okay. So say you're affected by a trauma and once that trauma sets in and, you know, those, those survival responses kick in, Um, you know, all your, all your stress hormones are elevated and generally PTSD sets in, it's usually about a month is, is the average is what they usually say. It's about a month after the trauma occurs. If, if you have not returned your stress hormone levels back down to, um, a normal level. So basically your body is restored to what, what scientists call homeostasis, just basically balance. Um, if if your body hasn't returned to that state, that's when PTSD sets in.
0: All right. So um, now you were talking about moving eleven hundred miles
2: mm-hmm.
0: down to where this guy had just come back from the mill come back from being deployed. Uh huh.
2: Yeah. And go ahead.
0: You didn't want to say, say he was, had PTSD, but it, it seemed like he might have from your perspective.
2: Right, right. But like I said, I, I, you know, I'm. I can't diagnose anybody, so I'm not going to say that for sure. But anyway, so, but he's dealing with his own struggles. Um, and I just, I just didn't want to be home. I did not want to be home. And he lived farthest away from, you know, everybody else I knew. So, and, but thankfully I met some wonderful people down there. Shout out to my friend, Alicia, if, would you hear that Alicia Greer. I love you. Um, her and her family took very, very, very good care of me. Um, they were basically my adopted family while I lived down there. My little, my little Cajun agent or Cajun, uh, angels, I like to call them. Um, so I had people looking out for me and I, I did, I moved away from home for a good two years and I finally was like, no, I'm, I miss home way too much. I can't, I can't keep staying down here. I, I, I miss home. And so I decided that I was going to move back home. Um, And I about, let's see, I moved back home in 2006 and I met my husband in 2009, um, which was, I mean, my husband's the best thing that's ever happened to me. I always, I always like to joke around that, you know, you know how people will sometimes call the, the the wife of the, uh, of a, in a couple, they'll say, well, that's the better half. Well, he's my better half for sure. Um, And so I met him in 2009. We were married in 2011. We have two beautiful babies now. Um, I have my son, Harlan, who is two. And my daughter, Vandalia, who is six months. Um, But we, we have had a really, really rough time. And really, um, I hit, I hit a uh, rock bottom again in 2018. Um, because basically I, I had tried to address my PTSD here or there, um, but never successfully throughout the years. Um, and my, my husband, God bless him. He is persistent. (laughs) And he actually took matters into his own hands for a long time, um, and got me help that I needed. And so finally I had started going to the vet center. Um, and then really, um, in February of 2018, um, I had contemplated suicide again. Um, but I knew, it, it's one of those things where I thought about it, but I knew I wasn't going to do it because at that point I had my son. Um, he was just about to turn a year old. Um, so I knew I wasn't, I wasn't going to commit suicide, but the thought that that, the fact that it was popping up in my brain caused me concern. So I had called the suicide prevention hotline a couple times. times. Um, it sometimes really, you know, the number one thing I always told my husband was, I feel so alone. Like nobody understands what I'm going through. And, um, which isn't true, which is why a part of the reason why we're doing this now is, you know, everybody needs to know that they're not alone. There's millions of us that go through this. Um, but at the time, you know, that's how I felt. I just kept saying, like, I feel like I'm alone. Um, and so basically when I hit that rock bottom in 2018, Um, I lost my job. I, um, I basically was just barely fun. I I basically, I call myself, uh, at that time, a high functioning train wreck (laughs) because I was a mess inside, but somehow I was like keeping it together on the outside until I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, you know, I remember when I would come home from work and I would look at my son and I just wanted to play with him and and talk to him and love on him. And there would just be times I would just like catatonic. I couldn't even talk. I was just spent. I was emotionally spent. And, you know, that's not something I wanted to. To have my family be a part of, um, you know, my husband's been wonderful to me. Uh, my kids are awesome. Um and it's you know I I saw this quote that says if you don't heal what hurt you you'll bleed on the people who didn't who didn't
0: cut you. Yes, yeah, I've seen that quote. I love it.
2: Yeah, and that's basically that's where I was. Um, you know, it got to the point where my my husband was like, I can't live like this. He's like, because when you're down like this, it affects me. Sorry, I always get emotional.
0: No, it's okay. This is an emotional topic.
2: It is, um, but you know what? He's been such a, a great resource because I remember, I remember, like, I'm um, saying, you know, I don't want to live like this anymore, and 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 he didn't want to live like this anymore. So, we, and he's kind of been my partner in this. We have like poured our hearts and the souls into researching everything about this. You know, I I've been researching mental health, brain health, happiness um, natural medications, um, psychedelic, even, even psychedelic treatment research, because it's actually really fascinating. Um, and my husband's been doing it alongside of me and, you know, we're constantly like watching documentaries or listening to podcasts or, you know, it's been, it's been great for both of us because we're really kind of growing together in this journey. Um, and I'm really happy that now, um, I am so much you know I'm I'm not completely healed I don't know if I'll ever be completely healed I feel like there's always going to be like the residual effects of everything um, but I definitely feel like I am way closer to being healed than I am where I was a year and a half ago if that makes sense like I, I definitely think I'm on the right path so it,
0: it makes sense and we're glad that you are
2: Yes. And you know, it's just like, I look at whenever I look at my symptoms, because I had w- been writing them down because I've just, I really feel like, you know, this is my purpose in life. is to share my story and to help others, um, get to a, a place of, of healing. Um, but you know, every time I look at my list of, 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 um, symptoms, it just, and it rips my heart out. Like, Okay. So I'm going to read these off to you just because I feel like if you compound it, you can really get the picture. So I had recurrent and intrusive memories, flashbacks, intense distress, um, after anything that reminded me of the traumas, um, avoidance of trauma reminder, trauma reminders, obviously, um, self-hatred. Like when I say I hated myself, like I legit hated myself. um, And then I had all these negative beliefs and expectations about myself also in in the world that I live in. And, um, you know, it's really sad. And then, you know, I'd always blame myself for everything. Um, it didn't matter what the event was. It was my fault. Um, I made a complete irrational fear-based decisions, um, self-sabotage, which, you know, and included drugs and alcohol. Um, I had a, you know, I was always procrastinating because I was so afraid that I was gonna fail or something was gonna change, or I would and I, then I would end up just feeling like I wasn't good enough. Um, I couldn't concentrate, I couldn't focus. Uh, sleeping was awful like sleep was sleep was a trauma in itself for me because it was like I couldn't ever get my mind to shut up, and that was always when the 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 lowest points for me would always be at night. Um, and you know, my husband would have, there'd be times he'd have to call off work to take care of me because he was up all night because I was up all night. Um, you know, I would have inappropriate outbursts and, um, those would sometimes occur in public. Like I would have legit public meltdowns. Um, I couldn't keep a job for more than five years. Um, I was always feeling hopeless. I had no self-control. And I always, like I said earlier, I always felt like I was completely alone. And my emotions would go from like zero to a hundred and just a snap of a finger. And I would always create worst case scenarios for everything, everything. Now, let me tell you that, that does not go away. That... that- <laughs> especially if you're a mother, like, I feel like worst case scenarios are what all m- women have in common, because we're all and I also have a theory. That's why we're we're the ones to jump into action when something happens with their children, because we've already played that scenario in our brain like 10 times. Yeah, and we already know what to do. So <laughs> but like, well, you know, every time I look at that list, I think that's not living like that is not living that is existing. And I don't want to feel that anymore. And so, you know, really we had to dig down deep and I had a great, great support system at, at the VA. I have um, a fantastic therapist. She's wonderful. Like she, like every time we talk about my sexual assault, like she gets all jacked up because she's like, you suffered an institutional injustice. Like she is so passionate about it. And she makes me feel like, yeah, she would like, she always tells me it's not your fault. It was never your fault. You shouldn't have gone through this. You know what I mean? Like she's on my side and I appreciate that about her.
0: Yeah. And you need Um, that.
2: You do. And, um, you know, between that and my family, um, and just constantly trying to learn about it and doing the things that I'll maybe share with you here in a little bit about, about moving forward on this journey, because everybody's journey is going to be different. And I can tell you one thing for sure right now is that, nothing happens overnight it is it is a grueling grueling pro i mean you gotta think i i suffer for 15 years and that doesn't change overnight i mean it's been a year and a half and i like i said i'm still not healed i still not even consider myself healed but i am definitely better than where I, I was and i'm i'm definitely getting there and i and i have hope that's the biggest thing is that i now have hope
0: that is the biggest thing you have hope <laughs> You have mm-hmm. uh, you have a future perspective. Exactly. If you're forward thinking. And mm-hmm. I want to reiterate, you don't have to suffer with this for as long as Jen did. That's one of the things right. that Jen has, has taught me is that she's taken control of her life um, by not only her research, but her efforts and the efforts of the people around her. Um, and when you're able to do that, the sooner you're able to do that, the better your chances are of growing and to some extent overcoming the issues that come from post-traumatic stress.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So we got we got Jen's story, uh, Mm -hmm. her her story of trauma and some of the story of her overcoming to some extent what she's dealt with. Um, We want to bring Emily in now. Emily, you there?
1: I am here. Yes. I was just, uh, sitting back listening to everything and, and like shaking my head. I laughed, I cried, I related. Um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. So it's actually, it's actually interesting to, of course, uh, like you said, Brandon, you have a male audience for the most part. So I feel like it might be hard for people to relate, um, specifically to like our stories. Cause they're actually really, really similar, um, in terms of like the sexual assault aspect. Um, but I, I sometimes wonder, and this is like the sociology psychology nerd in me is, um, if men are really like less likely affected or if mental health with men is still so stigmatized that they're just incredibly, incredibly underdiagnosed and that like skews, um, or if it's like Jen was talking about like the, the like the mothering thing, if maybe our brains are just biologically different and like we're affected by it at a larger rate or what, but, um,
0: I would I imagine mean, it's a combination of all of the things you
1: mentioned. Yeah. 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 Well, that's just me going off on like a rabbit hole, uh, down a rabbit hole of like psychology there. But, um, yeah. So in terms of my story, I, I, I want to be like, um, fully transparent. I am still waiting on a diagnosis. Um, mm-hmm. so when my assault happened, which I'm coming up on a year on Thanksgiving, so this month is a year for me. Um, so yeah. it's been, uh, I forget the term you used, um, like a functioning train wreck. Is that what you said? Yeah. <laughs> a yeah. Functioning um, train wreck. That's me currently. So hi, I'm the walking functioning train wreck. (laughs) But, um, (laughs) and I think that may be like a thing that comes up with anniversaries. I'm not sure. This is my first one. So, um, I, I was dealing with multiple things last year, um, going through a divorce, um, dealing with like highs and lows of, uh, doing the podcast that I did and filming a documentary and all of that. Um, So I was trying to reenter the dating world last year and had never online dated because I'm right at that cusp age where like I just never had to do it. Uh, I was seeing a guy about a month and then um, ultimately was sexually assaulted. And I'm not going to go into detail, um, but the way in which it occurred is really hard for some people to wrap their minds around because they simply don't understand consent in like a large context Um, but I mean, my consent was violated. Um, and this was the early morning hours of Thanksgiving. So, um, I, I barely slept and there was that something you said about like feeling super lonely. And I specifically remember, and this is like in hindsight, how I should have known there was going to be long-term trauma is I remember like being in, Bed, And if you've ever watched Life of Pi when he's in the life raft, like with the tiger, Mm -hmm. um, it's like that feeling of loneliness is like being out at sea in a life raft with like a live tiger. Uh, And I think that that's like assault in general, but I think that that's PTSD and like a a good kind of comparison, too. Yeah. But uh, I went to Thanksgiving dinner and then at Thanksgiving dinner, my dad told me he had Parkinson's. So I really didn't have time to <laughs> process uh, the wow. assault that had happened like 12 hours prior. And then this was late November. Um, and then everything actively kind of hit the fan with uh mile marker 181 and fallout from that and being publicly canceled and crucified. Um, <laughs> so there was a lot of trauma compounded into like two weeks and I was actively filming this documentary um so I did not process mine it wasn't I didn't go and report I didn't I didn't have time to process it um it was two months later I was telling the story of the assault to someone not realizing you know how much it was even bothering me. But I know the fact that I was talking about it to a male friend, like it obviously bothered me. And they pretty much looked at me and they were like, Hey, um, that's rape. (laughs) And so I think it was end of January really that I even like put a name to it and processed it. And I think for trauma survivors, no matter what type of trauma, it sometimes takes someone else pointing it out to you and being and putting a name to it because you might not feel like it's valid or like you feel like oh well somebody else has it way worse whether that's combat or sexual assault or a car accident like trauma is trauma is trauma like you can't compare it it's how your brain reacted to it like there's no shame that somebody else had a more violent assault or saw like more terrible things than you
0: Um, Thank you for saying that. That's one of the things things I wanted to make clear throughout this episode is that there are degrees, there are levels, but every person who experiences trauma is valid and their experience is, is valid. And we want this episode to validate those feelings and those experiences for people. It doesn't have to be as extreme as someone else's, maybe even what you're hearing today. It can be far less and still have a traumatic effect on you. So thank you, Emily, for saying that.
1: Yeah. I think it's just important, like, especially I, this probably isn't healthy, but I tend to trauma dump, especially, um, with women, my own age, because I guess what I'm looking for is someone with the exact same situation as me. Um, and I think that that's like another important thing is, um, if you, you know, even if you are seeing a therapist or if you maybe can't see a therapist, if you can find some kind of like support group, um, for people who have been through like maybe a similar trauma or Mm -hmm. their trauma symptoms manifest in the same way. So it, it's kind of, it's bittersweet that I found so many women that have also been raped. (laughs) Um, didn't, you know, like, I know the statistics, but it's different when you're like, have somebody in front of you and you're talking about it. Um, and, and you have like symptoms that manifest the same way. Mm -hmm. Um, and you mentioned some of those Jen too, like avoidance of certain things. So, Mm -hmm. um, I started therapy. Let me think of my timeline here. I I guess it would have been end of February, um, because I had one in-person appointment before, um, COVID shut everything down and I've been doing teletherapy since then. Um, but I see a therapist that I found through rain.org um, which is great because I could not afford to pay out of pocket for therapy. Um, I know that obviously with veterans, there's going to be different hotlines and different um, sure. you know organizations to go through. But in terms of sexual assault, whether you're a man or a woman, or it happened 40 years ago, um, you can go through Rain and they will put you in touch with somebody you can can talk to. Um, basically, it was at like the urging of somebody, really my best friend. He he had said to me, he said, "You've got." to take care of this before it festers. Um, Yes. So on one hand, like I'm very glad that I did that. And I feel like being shut down and not having to go to a job and not having to, no one was functioning like the first four months. Right. We were all just like, Mm -hmm. people were day drinking. You know what I mean? We were all homebound. So I really had time to work through some of that. Um, And I'm thankful for that timing. Um, But I've recently, like I've, I've hit that kind of like rough patch. Um, and I've been like, man, I kind of wish I had never unpacked this because I could pack it away in like a suitcase. But also like, I know realistically that long-term that that doesn't work. Um, because I know people really, my best friend who, who dealt with homicides for decades. Um, and his, trauma manifests in ways that I just don't want mine to, um, mm-hmm. you know, in 20, 30 years. So, you know, it, it's a bittersweet thing. Like it, you, you deal with it now or you deal with it later, but I think when you deal with it upfront, you have a little bit more control in how you do that. Um, cause it's kind of like a controlled, uh, explosion, right? So like yep. it's that controlled demolition of a building. <laughs> you can like tear it all down and build it back up again um, if you actively are like taking those steps to do it. It's still really ugly, but you have a little bit more control over the situation. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, I I have to say like really, you know, in the last couple of weeks, and Brandon, you were like, "Are you okay doing this?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm just in the ugly part of it right now." Yeah. So I I you know. I had talked to my best friend. I had talked to my therapist and my avoidance thing was dating and any type of sexual encounter. Um, mm-hmm. so I actively, um, trying to date again. And so, uh, it's not fun, but I'm doing it. Um, and so that kind of sent me into like the last six weeks into a little bit of like that, um, functioning train wreck. Mm-hmm. And I've been trying to like you know, I'm, I'm single. i I just moved, um, in July out of state. I moved to Columbus. Um, so I am living on my own for the first time ever and dealing with all of this. So it, it looks very different. Um, when I don't get out of bed, I just simply like, there's no one here. Uh, I just don't mm-hmm. get out of bed that day. I have the dogs and they keep me active, but, um, yeah, I definitely relate to like the surviving, but or like I guess existing but not living. Cause I just said the other day, um, when am I gonna get into like progress and out of survival mode? Yeah. 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 It's like, but but at the same time, like if you made it through another day, that is progress, right?
0: It is. Survival yeah. is That's progress.
1: Exactly. It. Yeah. So um
2: but I mean, Emily, think about the fact that you went through all that. I mean, everything you went through a year ago and the fact that you're even talking about it today, that's real progress right there. Um, I mean, that's huge because you're still trying to help other people at the same time with, with dealing with the fallout from it for, for yourself. So that's that right there is, is remarkable. And I, I think it's progress so,
1: for sure. So yeah, I guess something it's just, to be proud I, of. Yeah, I've seen – and I honestly can't – I don't feel like right now, at least since probably May – I actively have been in like a very selfish mindset Um, and it's a survival mode thing Mm -hmm. um, where, sorry, but like it's me before anyone else because like there are days where you are like, uh, am I going to make it out? (laughs) Like
2: you don't even have enough to give to yourself, let alone anybody else. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. But I mean, talking about it, um, I've watched people that I love dearly not process trauma And they're in their older years and I know what that looks like. And I guess I just don't want that. So like I would encourage anybody who has something that they haven't unpacked. That's like right beneath the surface. um, It can like live there a really long time, but still peek its head out a little bit in like really ugly ways. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know that I'm helping anybody, but at least talking about it is the the conversation (laughs) is you are.
0: The conversation is helpful because there are people who've gone through what you've gone through and they're hearing their story told and they're hearing that they're not alone, which is a common exactly. theme of her between you and Jen, Emily and Jen have both stated that you felt alone. And part of this mm-hmm. is to make sure people know they're not alone. And I can speak on my trauma. Um, I did a podcast. We did a segment uh, at least a year ago. It might've been two years ago where I talked about trauma that I experienced, but mine was not. I think when, when I hear PTSD, when I used to hear PTSD, I thought of combat. I yeah. thought of Black Hawk Down. I thought of Afghanistan and Iraq. I thought of lost limbs. I thought of people who were sexually assaulted. I didn't think of what I went through. It wasn't until I was with my therapist where he told me that he believed that I had PTSD. And when he told me I had PTSD, everything made a lot more sense. And mine stemmed from the end of my marriage. It was extremely traumatic for me. Um, I'm okay being honest about the fact that for the most part, I lived an extremely coddled life. And not that my parents were rich or famous or any of those kinds of things, but they provided a life where I did not experience trauma. I just didn't. And when my marriage fell apart, I had no idea how to deal with it. I didn't have the resources, I didn't have the emotional IQ or awareness. And I was a high functioning train wreck for a long time as well. I made a lot of bad decisions, a lot of dangerous decisions, um, and it's part of why I started this podcast. To be honest, um, so that's one good thing that came out of it. But I want people to know that you don't have to live in ext- you don't have to experience an extreme to deal with PTSD there are different levels there are different degrees and mine is nothing compared to what i've heard from you and emily jen yeah
2: but that's the thing brandon you can it's it's an emotional response it doesn't the, the level of trauma itself or whatever the actual trauma is doesn't matter it's your emotional response to it so you can get people have gotten ptsd from being in a car accident
0: okay yes and so, i know those people
2: you know it's like so you can that's part of the start, part of the issue, um, too, for a lot of us is when we don't have those resources and we don't have the the coping skills that we need is that we can't even we're just so busy on, well, my trauma is not as bad. This isn't so My it doesn't matter. Let me I want to read this to you. I read it to you the other day, Brandon, but I'm going to read it to you again. It says your trauma is valid, even if other people have experienced, quote unquote, worse even if someone else who went through the same experience doesn't feel debilitated by it, even if it quote, could have been avoided unquote, even if it happened a long time ago, even if no one knows your trauma is real and valid and you deserve a space to talk about it. It isn't desperate or pathetic or attention seeking. It's self care. It's in it's in a, it's in a uh, inconceivably brave and regardless of the magnitude of your struggle, You're allowed to take care of yourself by processing and unloading some of the pain you carry. Your pain matters, your experience matters and your healing matters. Nothing and no one can take that away. And I feel like that's so powerful because it's, it's so true. Um, and you know, and that's, I think that's part of human nature too is we're constantly comparing, um, us to other people or, or what we think, um, or we'll think in terms of other people's perceptions instead of our own.
0: Yeah. Um, if I, that makes
2: sense. You know, it, we're so worried about what everybody else thinks instead of addressing the fact that it's, it's, our, it's our world, it's our response, it's our trauma, it, it's ours, not I, theirs. It's ours.
0: I agree. And I, I felt a lot of shame for a long time being diagnosed with PTSD. I didn't want to share that because I didn't want people asking me and then me being, ha- having to say what it stemmed from but i can i know for a fact that i know people who've been in car accidents who have experienced post traumatic stress i know I, people- I mean
1: yeah i was in a car accident 5 year over 5 years ago and for a while i struggled with it and it was very minor but it's just the way that your brain reacts i mean it's your mm-hmm. it's just it's simply like biological and then eventually you know i did get on anxiety medication for that um and eventually i kind of just worked through it and honestly i think my podcast kind of helped with that Uh, I don't, God knows how, I'm really not sure how, how that possibly helped me, but it it was, well, that, and it was like, uh, I think encountering a fear sometimes is like the best way to get through it. Um, so for that, it, it really helped. And I, I just don't, I simply like, I, I don't struggle with that anymore. Um, that's great. Yeah.
0: It's amazing how that
1: works. Yeah. I mean that, and sometimes it is like a time thing, but, um, obviously with complex PTSD. And like, when you're dealing with multiple things, you know, especially in my instance, last year, it was like my dad, sexual assault, and being essentially publicly like crucified uh, for for a while. It was it was compounded within like two weeks. Um, So you know, your brain doesn't have like what you were talking about, Jen, where Mm -hmm. your stress level doesn't have time to come back down. And I mean, that's something that divorce is going to do. Especially yeah. if there's children involved, if, you know, if there are mm-hmm. high stakes. So you, your stress level doesn't come back down from that for a while. You're not going to have time to reset. Right.
0: Yeah. Right. And, it, and you're right. As soon as as soon as I started to recover and I felt like I was making actual progress where I was making sound decisions and feeling like I was living again, my brother died. And mm-hmm. that was another compounding factor. Because, yeah. of course, I was close to him. And for a while, I thought I was doing well with it. But I hadn't dealt with it. I hadn't addressed my feelings for it. And so I think you're right. Like when, Well, I know you're right. When your brain doesn't have time to come back down or deal with what actually is happening, you're going to experience these symptoms. And the thing is there are millions and millions and millions of people in this world, in this country even, um, who are dealing with the things that we're discussing, and they have their own stories. And so we want to say, again, if you have any of these issues, if you're right. dealing with these issues, call two It'll get you the resources you need um, mm-hmm. that can help you deal with this trauma safely and effectively. And somebody said time heals wounds. Yeah. Some some say time heals all wounds. It's not true.
2: Yeah. That's it's time and effort. It's true. It's time and effort, exactly.
0: Time and effort. And it's got to be intentional. You have to understand um that this is a process something that you're working towards in order for it to be effective and productive um and to be able to overcome men deal with post traumatic stress less often but they're less likely to seek help as we mentioned why yeah
2: i think honestly i think those stats are sc- are sc- are skewed a little bit because i i know a handful of guys that like i said i'm not a a psychologist or a psychiatrist but who probably have a lot of the symptoms of ptsd but they have never been diagnosed with it because they are not willing to
0: go seek help exactly because they're told like a lot of the
2: stats are a little it's only based on on what we know you know it's only the people who actually come come forward seeking help
0: and we're told constantly suck it up buttercup you know what i mean it's the idea Mm -hmm. of being a man, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, not dealing with the actual issue, just moving on with life as opposed to mm-hmm. dealing with life.
1: Yep. Yeah, I, I do want to say there, too, I, I kind of when I've, you know, and like you had mentioned, Brandon, in terms of like when you heard the term PTSD, you thought of combat veterans, uh, which is valid, um, because I think that's really where like the root of our knowledge on PTSD, scientific knowledge stems from, because people were returning really from Vietnam mm-hmm. with PTSD and we hadn't seen anything like it before. Um, but I do want to say, I i actually, when I hear, and it usually is men. Um, when I hear men have that response, that sort of um, suck it up buttercup response, I actually, I don't even get mad. I kind of feel worse for them because I kind of wonder about their upbringing and mm-hmm. how they were raised that they were told that same thing. And it's never been okay for them to have basic human emotions because it was something that was simply wasn't allowed to maybe exist in their home or where they tried to have like that mm-hmm. vulnerable moment with somebody and they were told like to get over it or like suck it up or that somebody else just simply had it worse. Yeah, like I actually, you know, I actually feel for those people. It's funny that
2: you say that because I always, I always talk about that, how we're all just a product of our race. I mean, I'm a parent based on how my parents parented, you know what I mean? Like, and, you know, there's always things that every generation says that they're not going to do that their parents did or or whatnot, but, you know, it's inherently built into us. And so, you know, it's like you have to make a choice that you're not going to do that or, or you're not going to treat your kids that way or you're not going to do this or not, you know what I mean? Like it, it's, it is, I mean, we're all just, we're all, a product of our raise, we're all are just who we are based on how we were brought up and what we were taught.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that there's yeah. just a, a like a very big and people mean well, um, but I've and this has been a new experience for me really within 2020 of where you know I I'm very open about my assault and I'm getting like more and more open um, and it, sometimes that feels like the only tool that I have specifically when you have someone that is directly victimized you. And it's maybe not like a car accident situation mm-hmm. or a combat situation where it's a product of war. Um, telling your story kind of feels like your only um, power, um, okay. especially, you know, and and this is again, sexual assault related, but you went and you reported and you were re-traumatized. Um, I recently did a project on why um, survivors don't report And, uh, you know, I am, I am, my statute of limitations isn't up, but realistically, I know, um, that I, that it would never be prosecuted. Um, so I've, I've had some interesting responses in terms to like telling people the story. I've had people say, like, I said, you know, I was raped last year and they were like, oh, like, like legitimately raped. (laughs)
2: <laughs> like look yeah up. and you know that's what, the thing what? that irritates <laughs> that's the thing with sexual assault sexual assault yeah. is the only type of um violent act that occurs where the victim is automatically portrayed as the the the, the uh culprit and yeah. and it's and, you know the sad thing is i think i had re- last time i read it was like eight to twelve percent somewhere in there are uh of rapes that are actually um, that's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, oh, for crying out loud! <laughs> are reported um, are, yeah. are are false,
1: but it's, it's actually 2.5. Oh,
2: it's even, <laughs> okay. Thank you. I yeah, say, I, it's been a long time. I think since it's right it. around so 2.5. Yeah. So such a yeah. small percentage that ruins it for everybody else. Yeah. You know, yeah. and yep. and that 2.5 percent is what, um, gives, gives, um, rape victims, the, the stigma that comes along with it, that they're lying or, um, it was just in their head or whatever. And it's just, it's awful. And so, you know, and that's, it's funny that you bring that up because that's mainly when I was kind of thinking about what my story and what, what I think is most beneficial, um, with sharing my story about what I needed to focus on it, it's to me, it's always been about focusing on the things I could control because there's so much that we can't control. Like in my instance, like, you know, my rapist not having any charges brought against him and him basically getting off scot-free. And so I'm like, well, you know what? I can't control that. That's the way that the, the prosecutors felt. Um, I am, but what I can't control is how I'm going to respond to it. And, um, you know it's just man i can go through some yeah <laughs> i can go through some stuff with
1: that but well yeah. i i think that that may be why we see as well in terms of like statistics on who ends up with ptsd um is the culture that surrounds sexual assault and the mm-hmm. way that it's viewed um or i guess questioned sometimes like mm-hmm. every time that you're questioned it's a little bit more of a re-traumatization so you just have kind of like i don't know it's like an impact on your brain every single time that mm-hmm. it's questioned or like with you I, I really can't even imagine like going through that entire process especially through an institution like mm-hmm. the military um and That's then, supposed to have zero tolerance yeah. for for any yes kind of yeah sexual yeah. abuse or yeah whatever <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's why we see so much PTSD specifically with rape or Mm -hmm. sexual assault, um, Mm -hmm. survivors. Uh, because I mean, if you choose to report and that's the process, you know, that you have to go through and that's Mm -hmm. something I talk about with my therapist is you're literally weighing, it comes down to like scales where you're weighing trauma. Am I going to be less traumatized if I report? Um, or if I don't report and if I do report, um, what is, you know, the outcome going to be, and what's the trauma associated with that? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah,
2: you're exactly right. And yeah. and it's a shame because it should be that way, but it is. Yeah. Um, so, but uh, if Brendan, if you want, I can start maybe going through some of the tips that I have. Yeah.
0: Let's and, hear the tips. Um, we, Emily, we...
2: you can jump in
1: if something yeah. strikes you or, um, probably I'm going to benefit from this more than anything. <laughs> okay, Well, I hope, um, <laughs>
2: But you know, the, the number one thing, the very first thing that has to happen when you, you know, when you've hit that point where you're like, I don't want to live like this anymore. I, I, I want to, I want to try to heal from this. I want to try to move on from this. Um, The first thing that really, really has to happen is that you have to take ownership of it. And, um, you know, You have to say, okay, it's up to me. And, you know, this is the the craziest thing. A big part of that is um, forgiveness. And for me, like, this is kind of why it taken it. It it took me 15 years um, to get to the point where I was willing to step forward with my healing is forgiveness because I, it took me forever. I finally forgive my rapist. I um, took me forever to finally forgive the military because I was ticked off at the military for a really long time. And then the last thing, and the last person that I had to forgive was myself. And that's what took the longest. Um, and the other thing Explain is, is Explain that. Explain
0: forgiving yourself.
2: So for me, okay. So the biggest reason why I felt like I couldn't forgive myself was the fact that during my sexual assault, I. I completely froze. I was paralyzed. I mean, when I say I was paralyzed, I couldn't, I don't even know if I was, I was obviously breathing because I didn't die, but I don't, I couldn't feel anything. I couldn't move. I couldn't scream. I remember staring at the door, praying that something would come out of my voice. So maybe his roommate would hear me. And I couldn't do anything. And when I say I literally felt like I was trapped in my body, like it literally felt like the inside, like my soul, if I knew where it was in my body, like I felt like it was on fire and um, it's like a, alarms are going off in my head and I froze and I was so mad at myself for the longest time. Because I thought, why didn't you fight? Why didn't you kick back? Why didn't you scream? Why didn't you do anything? And I, I for the longest time, I didn't know. <laughs> and so finally, one day, you know, when I started on this research journey, I found that um, I found, I think, I don't know if it was a TED Talk or something. And they were talking about how there's actually three survival responses. It's not just fight or fight or fight. There's, there's a third one and it's called freeze. Like, think about when you see a goat who gets, like, gets scared all of a sudden. And you know how they, like, kind of go into, like, rigor mortis and they fall over and it's really funny? Um, Or you see a bunny that plays dead when a cat's got it in its mouth or, you know what I mean? And they're just, they're playing dead. That's essentially what the freeze response is. It's just your body's defense mechanism. If you can't
1: run. Go ahead. What were you going to say? I was going to mention there's actually a fourth that they're recognizing now um, that's called Fawn, which is essentially where you know that you're – and and I think this is particularly to sexual assault um, specific, but it's where you essentially um, try to, like, de-escalate the situation to avoid conflict. Um, So you kind of, like, try to – please the other person to get yourself out of it's almost like a hostage situation right I say like in
2: a kidnapping situation or something yes. like that yeah
1: yeah yeah so oh. where you kind of uh just try to um survive yeah, yeah, yes uh, so i mean there's a freeze um yeah. but also where you actively try to like get through this situation basically people pleasing yeah.
0: I just wanted yeah. I wanted you Jen to explain forgiving yourself because I didn't want people to get the impression that you were saying that sexual assault victims sure. are at fault in any way and that's not what you're saying at all you're saying that you had right. to acknowledge that for yourself
2: right exactly that, that was a part of forgiveness for myself is once I realized that I had no control over that the, the survival mechanism that that's what my body picked like I had no control over that uh, my body chose that, and um, and you know, and then then I re- and then I went through this whole thing where I was like, well, I probably should forgive him because maybe he didn't realize that he was raping me. But then then I, <laughs> this, this is this how it works and it, this is how it worked in my brain. And then eventually I got to the point and I thought, you know what? No, because if you're having consensual sex with somebody, there somebody else. That, you're you're interacting you're doing more than just laying there like a stiff board and you know what i mean i had there was no engagement there was no nothing he didn't ask he didn't nothing nothing and i'm thinking okay yeah no 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 it was not my fault you know what i mean but it it took me a while to get there
0: it took you years to get there
2: yeah exactly and because i'm like you know what no 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 let's rethink about this (laughs) and um you know and and so I finally did and once I forgave myself that was really that was a big stepping point for me but then also another big point is you have to realize that nobody else is going to take control of your happiness or is going to help you heal or is going to help you do anything and the thing that and that's the thing that I think sucks the most, especially if you were traumatized by somebody else. If your, if your mental stress comes from something that somebody else did to you, guess what? It's not their responsibility to to heal you. And that's the crappiest part of it. And, you know, it, it sucks that. Somebody else could do something to you, get away with it, but then it's your responsibility to, to to take over and heal and do everything you need to do to get right
1: and clean up the mess and live day to day. Clean day-to-day. up the mess,
2: exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. But it, it yeah. you know, once you realize, okay, well, that's unfortunately that's the way it is. So let's do this. So you know that was that that's a big thing. And once I was finally like, you know what, okay. Nobody else can do this for me. I have to do it myself.
0: Okay. So and, what, are, go ahead. what are some of your other tips besides, so you said. So
2: yeah, just kind of take ownership um, and, and deal with your, the unforgiveness that you have um, and everything that you need to be able to move forward and do, and do what you need to do um, to, to make the, the right steps in the right direction. So For me, you know, something that I did is I drafted a commitment pledge for myself and I basically, um, wrote it out and said, you know, that I had made a commitment to myself on this date that I was going to actively try to heal from my PTSD, that I was going to try to be a better person, a better wife, a better mother, um, and be, um, the best possible version of myself that I could be. And then I am not going to stop trying to reach that goal. Um, and I signed it and I look at it every so often. I keep it in my, my journal that I use all the time. Um, and it's just a way to kind of keep yourself accountable because I tell you what, it's hard. It's hard. Cause there's going to be days that you don't feel like doing anything and that's okay too. I mean, a lot of this too is, is realizing that you're not always going to feel the best um that you're not always going to be up to putting your best foot forward but also having a lot of self-compassion and say you know you knew you knew this was going to be hard um you know maybe we just try to do something small today or just you know doing something little um to even to get a little bit better every day so you know if you if you feel like it make a commitment pledge um do as much research as you possibly can, because there are so many different tips there's so many different therapies there's so many different um, ideas and and all the stuff out there that, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you might not even know about. Um, you know, like, why did nobody ever talk to me about the freeze response? You know, things like that. <laughs> and, you know, things things that I would have never known about otherwise. Um, so research, research, research. That's, that's a big one. Um, and another thing is have a positive support team. Um, the people who aren't going to try to hold you back because they don't want to have to look at themselves and think about maybe growing, um, people who are actually going to, to ha- actively help you and be there for you, um, and have your best interest at, at heart. um, and, you know, people who are willing to do it. Um, and also, like you said, you know, having a community, Emily, you were talking about that earlier. Um, you know, that's a big thing is is finding a support group. And, and even especially with COVID and everything that's going on now, there's probably so many online um, support groups or little meetings you can attend or um, even local groups or anything like that. You know, we're not, we're not meant to do these things alone. You know, think about All those years that we were hunter-gatherers and we were in packs and we had support systems all the time. And, you know, that saying it takes a village to raise children. Well, that's because villages used to help you raise your children. Um, You know, that all that all stemmed from how we've evolved. And now, you know, with with industrialization and everything that we are now, we're so we're way more alone than we ever have been in human history. And we, we're not supposed to be, you know, we're supposed to be in, yeah. in support with a community with each other.
1: Yeah, uh, biologically, we're just not built to uh, be completely self-sufficient, actually. Exactly. I mean, it's just not how it works. And I think that COVID is kind of proving that long term because we're seeing really exactly. detrimental effects. As to how, you know, with long-term isolation, that works. Mm -hmm. I'm still kind of looking for my community, but I do work with a lot of women. Um, So inevitably, uh, there's just a a lot more of my coworkers have been sexually assaulted because they're women. Wow. Um, Yeah. So, and yeah. um, But the community part, even if it's just mm-hmm. online. And I have a couple buddies that are like my late night text buddies. So mm-hmm. it's like when I'm having that 3am panic attack, I know who yep. my lifelines are. So,
0: Instagram yeah, stories great. help you too, huh?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> self-expression. You talked about the podcast. <laughs> my, my therapist told me self-expression was a good thing. So one of the things mm-hmm. was the podcast. It was an outlet. It was also a safe space for me to talk without, uh, judgment or without, uh, responsibility. Um, I also wrote, I started writing, I wrote about my divorce. I wrote about my brother. Those things helped me. Mm-hmm. Those are things that were helpful for me as an outlet.
2: Yeah. I actually have journaling on here. So, um, journaling's huge. It, it, I mean, even if, cause it's one of those things, like if you feel like you can't express something vocally for whatever reason, you can at least write it down and get it out of your head. And I think that that helps a lot journaling Um, and say like every day I write down at least one thing that I'm grateful for. And it can be the smallest little thing and it doesn't matter, but those small little things add up, Um, you know, and just starting. And I always do it first thing in the morning. Cause I feel like if I start my day with some gratitude, then it'll help me get through the rest of the day. Cause I can, if I'm thankful for the small things then I can be thankful for the big things. Um, And then you know, you know what? Something that my therapist and I do together um, is we always end our session with like five minutes of deep breathing. And everybody thinks that's so silly. All that's all hippie dude, whatever. And I'm like, no, it really works. Like it just it helps you refocus. It helps you recenter. Helps you be present. Um, there's a reason, you know, yoga survived for as long as it has and, and, and meditation and prayer and all these things. It's just because it helps you be present in the now. Um, and it also allows your mind to slow down and and maybe process things. Otherwise, you know, because busy days, we just get going and we get going through the swing of things. And it's just we're going through the motions and we're not even paying attention to what's going on around us.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, and then we we'll, you know, we have those negative thoughts and we just allow them to come in because we don't have time to even examine them and process them. And they just kind of build up, you know what I mean? And yeah. so, you know, that's, it's breath work is huge. Um, and you know, and it, it's the same thing. What does every doctor tell you when you have an ailment? I mean, almost every time it's, diet and lifestyle diet and lifestyle you know what it's true <laughs> unfortunately it's true diet and exercise and all those things are important i mean we should know that by now how many times have we been told that uh but it really does help with everything including our minds and and you know all those things um and i mean we could go on to that that's a whole that's a whole other podcast in and of itself is diet and exercise and mental health but um, and sleeping, I mean, sleeping is huge. It's why a lot of us have problems is because we have the problem sleeping. Um, it's hard to even function and it's just like, it's awful. Like I said, with the, with the poor sleep, but yeah, sleeping is important. I mean, liquid melatonin has been my lifesaver a lot because <laughs> I, I've, I've always, yeah. I've always struggled with sleeping medication. Um, I, it, I mean, I've had a lot of issues with it. So, but the old fashioned liquid melatonin does a trick.
1: Um, you know, something else. Yeah. I'm I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of melatonin as well. And that's just really something in the last six weeks. I, at this point, I have it, I have to have it every day or I don't sleep. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
2: And you know, and another thing is to do a dopamine detox. And in case you don't know what that means, it means social media and technology, like, detox from it obviously i have been doing that so i have not been on social media for a couple weeks now but obviously i'm going to go back on it because we need to promote the show (laughs) so yeah i will be back on social media but um you know unfortunately you know social media is still the easiest way to get um information so you know we love it or hate it but um it is a great yeah
1: i did even if it's just for a week or two Yeah. I did some like self-examining in terms and uh, in regards to my podcast, I sort Mm -hmm. of just eventually gave up on Facebook because I found like a, a spam folder of messages that no human should ever read. Um, but I was like, you know, I was like, what is this doing for me and like, what isn't it doing for me? And if I had had some really great support system on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, Mm -hmm. then I would have, but I kind of looked at it and I was like, honestly, like the only social media that makes me happier, like when I use it is Instagram. So I just deleted Mm -hmm. everything else and stuck with that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I understand. Um, and then, you know, getting outdoors. I mean, it's like little things, it's little things that eventually add up. Um, you know, listening to music and dancing, that's a huge one. My husband and I will have random dance parties. Like if we're feeling down or we're a little stressed, we put the kids to bed, we go out in the garage, we turn on some music, and we dance. And it's fun and it's great. And it's a lot, I mean, it's just something we do together.
0: I would pay to see um, that.
2: Oh hey. Oh Philly's got some moves, let me tell you. I'd love He's to said, see
0: Phil's moves.
2: Oh yeah. Um You know, helping others. That you know, it. There's a few basic things that, in all my research and all these different little aspects of life, you know, whether it's happiness, whether it's whether it's brain health, whether it's you know mental health overall or anything like that. It always talks about, you know, your diet, community, and um, helping others. Like helping others is such a big thing, and. uh, some people will say, well, I'm too much of a, of a train wreck to help others. No, it's the fact that you are a train wreck that you should be helping others. Um, you know what I mean? It's because you're oh, rela- god, I'm,
1: <laughs> I'm going to help so many people then.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, like, but he, I mean, it's being relatable, honestly, it's being relatable. Yeah. Um, and other than saying like, Oh yeah. Okay. I know exactly what she's talking about. I know exactly what he's talking about, you know? And, you know, for me, something else has been, um, you know, restoring my faith. And I'll I'll say that, you know, I don't think any of us are here to to promote our our religious beliefs or anything like that. But for me, it was it was instrumental in my recovery is was also restoring my relationship with God because we were on rocky terms for a long time. Like if you remember me talking about how how I tried to commit suicide, I was still mad at him for saving me. Um, you know, and I, don't. and I didn't even realize it until later that I was like, oh yeah, I'm so mad at you. (laughs) I guess I got to let that go. And because I, you know, I'm to the point now where I know that, um, this is, this is, this is my purpose. This is what I meant to do is, is to help others recover, or at least take this first steps in their recovery. Um, and just say, you know, Hey, I've been there. Me too. You know? And so that's been thing you know a big thing for me but you know one of the biggest things that you can do if you, if you really want to get serious about this is create an action plan you know it's it's and it's got to be flexible because there's going to be th- things that you don't know that you'll add later or that you'll learn about later maybe or things that maybe you think are going to work that end up not working because the thing is nobody knows what's best for you except for you and we're all different. And, and something that might work for me might not work for Emily and vice versa. Because, um, you know, we're all different people. But but have an action plan. And, and that needs to include professional help if you're able to get it. And, you know, part of that is being your own advocate also. Because, you know, before, all, before I started the, taking these positive steps, if I had a therapist that I didn't like, I wouldn't have done anything about it. I would just eventually stop showing up. Like, I would just never... I wouldn't say, hey, this therapy is not working for me. Or maybe you're not the best therapist for me. Maybe I'll find somebody else. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, I would have never said that before. But now I'm willing to say, you know what? This isn't working for me. Let's try something else. Or I've read about this. I I really think that this might work for me. What do you think? You know, because the thing is, you're paying them, not the other way around. Yeah. They work for you. So if something's not working, you have the right to say that it's not working. Um, and they're not going to know anyway, otherwise, unless you tell them so, and if you have a, a reputable, a, a, a good therapist, they're going to listen to you and they're going to say, you know what? Okay, let's do it. You know what I mean? It's just, you know, there's so much that's back to the old fear-based thing that, you know, I would never challenged anything out of fear. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, you know, saying, okay, I am going to get help. Um, and if it doesn't work, that's okay. I'm going to say, you know, we're going to try something new. Um, and being able to know that, that you have that option, um, and figuring out what works best for you. And, you know, something simple that I have is a negative, positive coping skills list. And so when I started all this, I wrote down all of my negative coping skills on one side of a page. On the other side of the page, I wrote down all these positive coping skills. And so for 30 days at a time, I would work to eliminate a negative coping skill and replace it with a positive one. And it could be something simple like, um, for instance, okay. The brain and our body needs water. Okay. It needs a lot of water to survive optimally. So one of my positive coping skills on there is drinking at least 64 ounces of water a day. And you think that's that is simple. It is. I mean, it doesn't have to be dramatic, but all these tiny little things that you do over time add up. And before you know it, you're just you're just trucking along. You're doing really well. So and you've yeah. got all these new coping skills that you've replaced these negative ones with, because that's the goal. You eventually want to replace all your negative coping skills with positive ones. And even if they're simple, positive ones, you know, like we said, journaling and, and things like that are just, you know, things like that. But also something that helps is having a plan for your bad days or when you're not or when you, you're feeling like a failure or, or you're feeling like you're not you're not um, progressing the way you need to be or things like that. Listen, we're, we're, we've all been there. It's not going to be easy. It's not a straight arrow, but having a little a little action plan for what you're going to do when you feel like that and it could just be, you know having a list of like affirmations or quotes or a Bible verse, if that's you or whatever, ready to just kind of pick yourself up or call your support team or look back at, you know, part of journaling is looking back at at how far you've come. And, um, and that helps when you're thinking about how far you have to go, look back at how far you've come and then, you know, rereading your commitment pledge, if you did that. Um, And, you know, part of, you know, part of this is changing your mindset about failure. I think too, is if you start looking at failure as just like a temporary setback, that's meant to teach you something, it'll help you grow so much faster or uh, instead of sort of dwell dwelling on that failure, you'll be able to move on from it a little bit faster. Um, Cause it is, it's just part of the growth process. And then, you know, yeah. something, my last kind of thing is just learning to be positive and grateful in everything and every situation. And it's, That's the hardest one. I really think so, because it's really hard to be positive about everything. But there is a if you go on YouTube and you Google hindsight window and it's a it's a it's a speech by a guy named Eric Edmonds. Um, It's like it's I don't know. I don't even think it's more than 20 minutes. It's like one of the best speeches I've ever heard in my entire life about how to be positive and grateful about any situation that's thrown at you. And I mean, it's like seriously, one of the best speeches I've ever heard in my life so it's worth a listen. Um, but you know, just celebrating the small things. Um, and like I said earlier, like if if you can be grateful for those little things, you can be grateful for the big things. Um, but I did want to leave you with one quote that, um, I think is really powerful. When I was talking about forgiveness earlier, um, it says, forgive others, not because they deserve forgiveness, but because you deserve peace. And that is one of the most powerful things I think I I, I realized in um, going through all my my levels of forgiveness is it's not about them; it's about you. And um, yeah, they probably don't deserve your forgiveness. I mean, we we know they don't <laughs> they don't deserve it, but you deserve that peace. And you need you you need that peace inside, and you deserve it. And um, you know, only you can give yourself that. So. You know that's kind of my things, but you know, hey, there's lots of other things out there too, like I said, that just keep researching I mean do what you do what you need to do, look where you need to look um get,
0: get professional help if you need it.
2: Yes, exactly, and I think that uh you'll start heading down the right path.
0: We are not professionals, we are not experts, we are just people who have experienced trauma, have done research, and have been going through the growing process. We wanted to share our story with you, with all of you listening. That way you know you're not alone. You're not alone and you're not doomed. There is a chance, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Um, there are opportunities for growth and for, uh, to, to overcome the obstacles that come from PTSD, regardless of its source. Uh, and that's why we did this show today. And I wanna thank you, Jen. You've been very mm-hmm. enlightening, you've been very transparent. Um, and we're grateful for that because you did not have to do that at all. And Emily, oh, appreciate we're, that. Emily, we're grateful for your honesty and for for being so forthright with us uh, about the things that you've experienced and how you've dealt with them. Um, and we look forward to possibly doing another episode where we talk more about these kinds of things in the future.
2: Absolutely, I'd definitely be up for that. So,
0: and again, if you are experiencing. Any kind of trauma, any kind of negative mental health emotions, two one one is the number to dial for help uh, and for expert care. You hey, wanted-
2: let me say something on that, Brandon, real quick. Um, like, okay, say, so, say you call two one one, or they connect you to the suicide uh, prevention line, and there's an extra. You hit one if you're a veteran. Something better. Something that veterans need to know, and I did not realize this until my therapist told me this. That if you call that su- suicide prevention hotline, they start asking you your name, what branch you were in, your rank, all that. You do not have to give that, that information. If you are suicidal, just say, I don't want to give you all that. I just want to talk to somebody, or I just need help. Say that. You don't have to give them that information. I mean, that was something that I had no, because that's one of the things I hated about that suicide prevention hotline is that going through the rigmarole of, what branch you were in, what your rank was, all that, when did you serve all that stuff? Like you don't have to give that information. You can just say that you are in crisis and you need to speak to somebody. So I just thought that was something very interesting that, um, and, 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 um, important that people need to know. So.
0: No, that's a good point. I'm glad you brought that out. I would never have known that. I yeah. want to thank both of you for being with me today. Thank you for your time. Thank you to all of you listening. Um, If you see something, say something. If you can help someone, please do so, especially if that person is you. But we'll wrap this up for now. Um, You know how to get at us on Twitter, Instagram. You can email us. You can DM us. If you have our phone numbers, you can message us. We're here to help in any way possible, even if it's just listening. So that's it for this show. That's it for this episode. That's it for Post Traumatic Stress Disorder with the Raspy Voice Kids.